On today's show, the old sports cliche, a game of inches and how true that can really be. Before we get there, we have one reason that we need to go over why gambling should be legal everywhere. Tomorrow night, Thursday, ESPN, we're breaking in the college football season. Boise State Broncos going on the road, University of Central Florida Golden Knights. I will be betting over 68.5 total points scored in the game for one very simple reason. This game is taking place in hot and humid Florida. In the first week of September, between two offenses that want to run at warp speed, it's the perfect recipe to turn every single defender's legs on the field into noodles. From a football standpoint, there's a lot of intrigue. Gus Malzahn, he's taking over at UCF. He comes over from Auburn. We know about his love for up-tempo. We know about his love for offense. On the Boise State side, Andy Avalos has taken over. Brian Harson gone to replace Gus at Auburn, this weird triangle of things. However, Andy has brought in former UC Davis offensive coordinator Tim Plow to conduct his offensive scheme, if you know anything about that. It's about up-tempo. It's about throwing the football all over planet Earth. Again, let's turn these defenders' legs into noodles. So we have our reason. Why gambling should be legal everywhere? Because we are betting the over in this game, and it will make you give thanks for the sweltering Florida heat that melts human flesh into puddles of evaporating nothing. And now, Sports with Chris Rawl. I am continually struck by how much of life boils down to simple luck. Just the right place. Right time is applicable to so many things. I speak about that from my own life, and I think it extends to pretty much everybody's life, whether it's a job opportunity. I know I've taken advantage of that when it comes to just simple random chance and luck. Uh, Romantic relationships, right place, right time. You met a person, and next thing you know, you have a meaningful years-long relationship. Nearly everything that can happen within your own life it usually involves a healthy dose of luck. Uh, Again, I don't think it's a diss to say that. I think it's just an acknowledgement that this simple random chance, it plays a large role in just how things work out. If you want to get morbid, it's the same concept when you die. Uh, Wrong place, wrong time. Not the right place, right time. You're driving down the interstate on the wrong day and somebody comes over into your lane and the next thing you know, you're squished against a median and you're dead and who knows what happens after that. So sports exist within this same vein. Um, Luck, it decides the outcome many, many times of how a sporting event turns out. Uh, It can be darkly funny sometimes. It can be very frustrating sometimes because... A lot of times, uh, you know, grand narratives or these sweeping legacy conclusions come out of who won and who lost, which when you acknowledge luck plays a really large role in that, it seems strange to continually push winning and losing as a large part of individual narrative. Um, That's why on this show, I'm always talking about the little things. It's the drum that I just beat out into the night. Uh, Rather than making a grand pronouncement like Bryson DeChambeau is bad at golf and a choker because he lost in a six-hole playoff on Sunday. Uh, Those of you who listened to yesterday's show know that I don't feel that way. And I went into great detail about all of these little things 
that comprise a performance. Was there a lot of good stuff that he did? Yeah. Was there some bad stuff he did? Yeah. Same as Patrick Cantlay. A lot of good stuff, some bad. Um, Cantlay ended up winning with some really incredible shot making and a big putt on the sixth playoff hole. Does that mean that DeChambeau was bad in a choker? I don't necessarily think so. So you'll almost never hear me sell a player or a team down the river simply because they lost. That's just not how I function as a person who watches sports. Um, Sometimes, yeah, I'll criticize the performance if it dictates it. But to simply boil it down to who won and who lost and then use that as the overarching statement piece, that's something that I just don't really do because I'm hyper aware of how much luck is a factor in all of this stuff that I consume. I want to read something from Bill Barnwell of ESPN. The worst team in football isn't good by any stretch of the imagination, but it is usually some combination of bad and unlucky during the season in which it bottomed out. Once the bad luck or some of the bounces dissipates, there's the chance that the team in question improves quicker than we expect. End quote. So you've heard the old cliche, a game of inches. Uh, And there's a reason that that cliche exists because it continually rings true, whether it's within football or other sports. Um, The Barnwell quote, it's about the NFL, so we'll start there. Uh, Part of the reason why NFL teams can switch places in the standings so quickly. First to last, last to first, everything in between. Because in a game of inches, luck and bounces can account for a decent swing percentage when it comes to winning. So like Barnwell saying in that quote, the worst team in the NFL can show up the very next year. And simply by just having better luck, they can see a drastic improvement in their record. Football, 16-game season, now 17 games, but still small sample size regardless. When luck plays an outsized factor in your losing, the very next season, if it regresses closer to the mean, you're going to see improvement simply because of that. One of the things that Barnwell always talks about is fumble luck. And the simple truth that there's really no correlation between teams being able to consistently recover fumbles or not. Essentially, it's always a 50-50 proposition when a ball goes onto the turf, which team recovers it, okay? So this is reflected when you watch a fumble in a football game. Oblong ball, bounces out onto the turf, going who knows which way, 22 enormous humans scrambling around for it like a greased pig. You hear that sentence spoken and you go, yeah, that sounds like an experience that is based solely upon luck, you know? The art of forcing fumbles, that there's a lot of skill that's involved with that. Some luck, but a lot of skill. Recovering fumbles, that's where luck comes into play. So in a season where you recover a bunch of fumbles randomly, that's going to improve your turnover margin, which in turn is going to give you a better chance of winning. And if that regresses the next season, well, a lot of times that's reflected within your record. So this ties into something that I always talk about on this show. The razor-thin margins between winning and losing. I went into great detail about that throughout the NBA and NHL playoffs. I will most assuredly do so as the football season gets up and running because in football, it's even more maddening and crazy just how the tiniest of margins can decide the outcome of a game. Within the NBA playoffs, Kevin Durant's shot at the end of game seven in regulation against Milwaukee, that's the number one poster child thing that I'll point at and go, If his shoe is size 14 instead of size 18, 
Then Brooklyn won game seven in regulation. All of these things that we think are 100% fact in present day about Milwaukee and Giannis, we actually think the exact opposite of because they're out in the second round and we go, what another choke job and how can you build around a star player like Giannis who can't shoot free throws or shoot outside? The margin of our opinion on all of these things was literally a Kevin Durant big toe. Another famous example within the NBA, it's Kawhi Leonard's shot against Philly in the conference semis in Game 7, the year that Toronto ends up winning the NBA title. Uh, he's fading into the corner, ball's bouncing around the rim, the buzzer's going off, it's still bouncing around the rim, it's a made-for-movie style moment. It ends up plopping through. If that falls out, we're in overtime, who knows? Philly can win the game at that point. What reality are we living in? Philly against Milwaukee in the conference semis. Who knows who wins that? Golden State's there. Is there waiting? Do we have Clay tearing his ACL? Do we have Kevin Durant tearing his Achilles? I don't know. A lot of ifs, ands, buts, sliding doors style moments that are just tied into this ball bouncing around a rim again and again and again and again. Great example within the world of football, one that I always think of when it comes to this cliche, game of inches. Cody Parkey, double-doink field goal. Chicago Bears in the playoffs against Philadelphia Eagles after they won the Super Bowl. And Cody Parkey lines up for a kick that'll win it for Chicago. Drills the side, bounces to the crossbar, plops. You can't tell if it's in or out. The refs come out. No good. Philly's advancing. Chicago's going home. Another great example of these sports are decided by the tiniest of margins uh, and many times literal inches or one inch in the case of Kevin Durant. So through this prism, I love looking back on games and thinking about how drastically a narrative could change simply by an inch being different, Uh, an inch going in the favor of this team rather than that team or this player rather than that team. And I think about the 2016 Ohio State Michigan football game. Through this lens, luck and the game of inches, right? Now, it's not that long ago, but it also seems like a century ago because this is at a time when Jim Harbaugh was regarded as a great coach, when he was ready to take the University of Michigan. They're an up-and-coming power. He is going to come and dethrone Ohio State atop the Big Ten. He's going to put Michigan in that small select group of schools that are continually vying for the national title every year. Michigan's going to be a playoff team if they win this game. Uh, If that happens within this game, a game decided by literally inches, what are we thinking in present day about all that stuff? I don't know. So we go to overtime in that game. It's tight. It's back and forth all game. I remember this very, very well because I'm live betting the whole game. I'm going and hammering down on Ohio State and doubling down on Ohio State and tripling down on Ohio State. And they can't put Michigan away. And it seems like Michigan's going to win. And they can't put them away. And it seems like Michigan's going to win. We go into overtime. Michigan gets the ball first. They kick a field goal. They're up three. Ohio State gets the ball. There is a fourth and inches that Urban Meyer, who was coaching Ohio State at the time, he chooses to go for rather than try to kick a field goal to extend the game into a second overtime. So JT Barrett, quarterback at the time for the Buckeyes, they call a run for him. It seems like he is stuffed just, just, just short of the first down line. T. 
TV angles, everything I'm watching makes it seem like that. I, again, I remember this well because now I'm going, I'm cursing, I'm saying all the words that I shouldn't say on this podcast. I'm going, oh my gosh, I just got screwed out of six different Ohio State bets. This is just my luck. So refs run in, they rule it a first down. And I go, okay, that's good right now, but it doesn't seem like it's a first down. But also, can you really tell? I don't know. They go to replay. The refs are looking at it like the Zapruder film, trying to figure out who's where and what the ball's doing and this and this. They say, we can't really overturn it. We just can't. Nobody can tell. You can't really tell. Ohio State first down. Michigan's pissed for a very good reason. Seemed like they could have won the game on that fourth down stand. Uh, Shortly thereafter, Curtis Samuel, he's running into the end zone. He's doing the leap across the goal line. I'm celebrating because now I've won all six of my bets. Ohio State's going to the playoff. Michigan is not. And I love to reflect on how games like this are decided. Game of inches and luck. Now, let's think about this specific scenario, which plays an outsized role in football games, okay? Referees, human beings, a lot of them old, they're trying to determine the furthest point that a football got in an enormous pile of bodies. Sounds like a really hard task, and and indeed, I'm sure every ref will tell you, yeah, it is. Then they have to mark that in real time on a field and say, this is exactly the furthest point that this ball went. Then they have to get their cronies to physically bring out the chains and mark and stab that out into the ground and say, this is the exact distance needed to make a first down. Now, where's your exact mark? And we're going to measure those against one another. It's the most absurd part of football. It truly is. In a day with so much technology at our disposal, we have a bunch of older people trying to eyeball where a ball went and then have their friends measure it. Very strange concept. And the actual difference in this 2016 Ohio State-Michigan game, a game that was the difference between Michigan making a playoff or not making a playoff. Would have been a very big boost for that program and for Jim Harbaugh as a coach and his identity and narrative moving forward. The difference between those things is essentially nothing. It's an inch. Actually, if you want to take it further, it's an it's a literal index card. Which a year later, Gene Steratore, famous NFL ref, he is using to measure a big first down in a Sunday night Cowboys Raiders game in the fourth quarter of that. I still remember watching that game because I'd also bet on it. But this one I was just laughing at because it was so absurd. The fourth down play, they're trying to do the exact process I just went down. Identify where a ball went in a pile of bodies, then have their friends mark it and come out and try to measure it. And they can't tell if the nose of the football is touching the first down marker. And so Gene Sterator takes out an index card, like some sort of strange paper magician, and he puts it down and he says, yes, it's touching both the first down chain and the football. Thus, we have a first down. This is the kind of stuff that can decide the outcome of a game, which in turn leads us to draw drastic conclusions based upon who won and who lost. A razor-thin margin between winning and losing, it can literally be an index card, something to always keep in mind when you want to go out and make grand sweeping conclusions based upon the outcome of a game. I want to go back a little bit to yesterday's show. It was all about Bryson DeChambeau against Patrick Cantlay, awesome BMW championship shootout over the weekend, and how losing isn't necessarily always the same thing as choking. 
within that show. I talked about part of the understanding of the game of golf is that putting is a very, very fickle beast. That's true for amateurs and professionals alike. Uh, remember, you're rolling this small dimpled ball over a stretch of grass that features millions of tiny imperfections. Plus your divots repaired, plus your spike marks from other players before falling into a hole that is cut into the earth that features tiny, uh, a million tiny imperfections of its own. Okay. Uh, again, the razor thin margins between a putt going in and out within this scenario is nothing. The margins might be smaller than Gene Steratore's index card. So when you think about this, just like every other sport, putting and golf can be an incredible game of inches or sometimes index cards or sometimes whatever the smaller unit of measurement is compared to an index card. Okay. Now I mentioned on yesterday's show some putting stats and make percentage probabilities. And I want to dive deeper into those today. And I want to talk specifically about the difference that 12 inches can make when it comes to average make percentage of a putt for PGA Tour players. Remember, the best putters on planet Earth. Now, these stats come courtesy of Dylan Dethier on golf.com. And I want to start at the three-foot mark. Three-footer, for all you amateur golfers out there, you know that a three-footer is not easy to make. Sounds like it should be so easy. It seems like it should be so easy when you see it marked out and you're three feet away. And yet when money's on the line or prestige is on the line or pressure is affecting you in some way, shape, or form, three-footers are very, very hard to make. Now, on the PGA Tour, the make probability of a three-foot putt is 99.4%, a great separator between what makes a professional a professional and what makes an amateur an amateur. Span that out by 12 inches. Again, it's this much. Game of inches. Remember, always think about it in this context. We go from three feet to four feet in the percentage. It obviously drops. We go from 99.4 to 91.4, an eight percentage point drop. Okay, not drastic, but when you're talking about the difference between making a putt that could win or lose a tournament, uh, essentially a one in 10 probability versus a 0.5% chance of missing. Well, that's a huge difference, 12 inches right? We expand it out and the difference, the margin increases drastically. We go from four to five feet and now we're down to 80.7%. Now there's a one in five chance that a professional could miss this putt, much less an amateur. Any of you putt five footers out there, you know how hard of an experience making a five foot putt with pressure on the line can be. We expand it out. And we go, how much of a difference between a five-foot putt and a six-foot putt could there possibly be? It's 12 inches. And we drop 10 percentage points. Now at six feet, we're to 70.2% probability. We expand it out. You say, how much more difference can 12 inches make? Six feet to seven feet. We've dropped 10 more percentage points. We're at 60.6%. The further you go, obviously, the more drastic these percentages are dropped. We go to eight feet, and then now it's about a coin flip probability. We're down to 52.8%. You go to nine feet, and we're below a coin flip. 46.3. You go to 10 feet, 
and we're now down to a 41.2% chance of making a putt for a PGA Tour professional. Best putters on planet Earth, right? Now, it's crazy to look at these percentages drop 12 inches at a time. When you understand how small of a window 12 inches is, and yet when you tack them on, five feet to six feet, six feet to seven feet, seven feet to eight feet, so on and so forth, you get into the 11 to 15 foot range. Now we're down to 30.1%, 15 to 20. Well, now we're down to 18.3, less than a one in five chance. 20 to 25, now we're down to 12.4%. I mean, the difference that 12 inches can make is astounding. Truly is. But you also got to think about it in terms that I put earlier. One extra foot, 12 inches. It's another foot of imperfect grass that your ball has to row through. So you can make a true stroke from three feet. And most times that's going to go in unless you drastically misread a three-foot putt. But if you're making a true stroke from 15 feet, now we're in the 30% make range for a PGA Tour professional. That is 15 feet of imperfect grass that, yes, you could have read it perfectly. You could have made the best stroke that you can possibly make. There's a lot of that experience that is still up to chance, still up to simple luck. It's also incredibly interesting to think about when you factor in the approach shot and the difference in rollout of a ball. You can hit into a face, and now instead of having a four-foot putt, you're putting from six feet. Two feet doesn't seem like a lot, but that drastically changes your make percentage. 91.4% to 70.2. 21 percentage points dropped. You hit a shot in and it lands in a softer spot. And now instead of jumping out to six feet, your ball is at 10 feet. And yeah, you're a PGA Tour professional. You're one of the best putters on planet Earth. But that four foot difference, that just dropped your make percentage by 29%, almost one in three. Really incredible stuff to think about when you talk about Game of Inches. Um, when you talk about how much of this stuff can just boil down to the whims of chance and luck. So you can control a hell of a lot, but sooner or later, it will all boil down to luck. That's how life works. So golf tournament, football, hockey, basketball, baseball, I mean, you name it. Luck, it just plays an enormous part of the outcome. And that experience, I mean, it's maddening a lot of times. It can be breathtaking if you're on the right side of it. It's the bounce of a fumbled football or a football off a field goal post. It's a puck against a post. It's a basketball bouncing around a rim like Kawhi Leonard. Or it's the roll of a golf ball on an imperfect putting surface. There's a reason that the game of inches cliche exists. Everyone needs luck in some form in order to win. And again, I'll end where I started. I don't think it's a diss on the winner to always acknowledge this side of the game. Everyone needs it. It's merely a hat tip to something that features prominently in all avenues of life. Many times, it all boils down to luck. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel at CEO.com.